Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. It feels a little bit like I should be saying happy race week again, but I know we each have a little bit of time before that happens. Although I think we're both like packing up to head out this week, right? Alyssa, it has to be crazy for you because you're like in that, that one like week between like between getting home from Europe and leaving for uh, Wisconsin. And yes, I'm headed to the uh, Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Nice, and I leave in just a couple of days, which is, it is crazy. So these are big races for us, and we get a little extra time ahead of, ahead of the race day to check out the course, because you're headed to Wisconsin early, right? Yes. So I'm heading out there at the end of this week so that I get about a week or so, a little bit more, to be out in Madison before race day. And it has been crazy coming back from Europe. Like, I think... The first three days, I had no idea. Well, I thought it was only the first three days that I had no idea what day it actually was or what time it actually was. But then I found myself 
posting my throwback Thursday on Friday last week. And I was like, first of all, no one even told me I did it wrong. So thanks everyone. And then second of all, I didn't even realize until Sunday. And then I was like, oh, like what day? Like I have no, literally no idea where the week went. But I think that's actually a good thing because I think I was focused mostly on eating a lot. My Stella's jalapeno spicy cheese bread did arrive for me as my treat. And among plenty of other things that I was treating myself to last week. And so I had that I had a lot of sleep, I was just really trying to get as much, you know, normal overnight sleep on like a my normal East Coast schedule as possible. And I was doing some workouts, certainly like I was doing some easy jogs, some easy spins and things like that. And then this last weekend, I kind of added in a few efforts just to see, you know, how I'm feeling. And we decided that I would take, um, I actually have a rest day today before we kind of ramp up for a little week before tapering for Madison. And I'm excited because I will be out there in Madison for the weekend where I can preview the race course. So even though I've raced out there, I always forget if I've raced there three times. I think I've raced there three times and I know the course quite well. It's so good because they do change some little things here and there year to year. And it'll be nice to kind of get back in that you know, mindset of that course, get to see it ahead of time, get focused on, you know, practicing those race efforts on the actual course. I like to do a lot of visualization in my training anyway, but there's no better way to visualize things than to actually see it in real life. Right. So that is how I'll be spending my week. And I guess you're, you're probably going to be up to a lot of the same in France. Like, do you have a plan of how you're going to tackle kind of your previewing the course? (laughs) I have some ideas, but I think with it being a foreign country, they're kind of loose plans just because, you know, I know that things won't go 100% as I've planned. And I like to be a little flexible because then I don't get as upset when things don't go my way. So I have some ideas, but to be honest, like if they don't go out or if they don't go perfect and I'm not able to see the course as much as I can, I also have in the back of my head that... I've had some really, really good races before, like seeing not even a single inch of the course before race day. And so I keep those in my like little confidence pocket. And then also just tell myself, you know, like there'll be challenges on race day too. And I need to meet those head on, like make sure that I keep the most important things in the forefront of my mind, you know, which is like making sure my bike is in good working order, making sure I'm focused on safety and I'm not doing anything that will jeopardize my long-term health. I think I keep those in mind. And then, yeah, so I I guess it's the big things. And then if I am able to get out there and see the course and do a little recon, that is, those are just bonuses. So hopefully I'll get to those bonuses. Do you speak any French, Haley? No, except for the four letter version. (laughs) If you count the F bomb as French, then yes, I speak French fluently. I wonder what the origin of that saying is when people say like, pardon my French, right? Do we know like, are like the French known for cursing? Is that something that's like a thing? I don't know, but I think we have some French listeners, so maybe they can uh, write into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and let us know, or else I could, I'm sure once we get off the phone, I could Google, which is probably what I should do and find the answer for myself. But that's, I've never thought about that, about um, the origin of that saying, but uh, no, my French is bad. Do you have any plans for after the race? Like, are you going to see anything or stay a little bit longer at all? So I am actually staying, I'm staying two days after the race, which is like a 
a huge vacation for me if uh, you follow any of my adventures. I am usually one of those get out of there right after. I like to get home. But for this race, I my parents are actually coming up for race day, and they're staying a couple days after. And it did seem like this is, you know, it's such a special part of the world, and it's somewhere I've never been. And they wanted to take advantage of, you know, seeing some sights because before race day, it's hard. Like you've said, but we've talked about in here, like the days, no matter what, are so full, no matter how early you go out. The days before are so full. So yeah, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe go to the beach, um, maybe take a train. I've heard, I really would like to see Monaco. I've heard it's like not that great unless you like gambling and that's not really my scene, but I still would just like to see it and just see what it looks like. Well... When I, I, don't, I forget, have I told the story about trying to go to the spa in Vichy on the podcast before? No, I don't think you told the story. So I raced Ironman Vichy and I had, I had at least a day, maybe like a day and a half after the race. And I had made a couple friends that were also kind of hanging out after the race. And so to set this up, I had come to Vichy. I want to say I had raced like Copenhagen or maybe in the UK the week. No, Copenhagen, I think the week before. And then, so I had this great experience there in Europe. And then I flew to France and all of a sudden, like my great European experiences started coming to a halt because the French culture is a little bit different and they, they definitely treat Americans differently. Like, I think I can say that on the record for sure than a lot of other parts of Europe. And so immediately right off the bat, I started to be like, Oh, this is going to be like, I have to, I have to just be very aware that they're not like super fond of Americans here. And I have to be a little bit, you know, just I might have to do more things for myself and like, they might not be as helpful. Right. So, you know, I found, I got through the pre-race stuff pretty good. I like found a place that helped me with the menu for dinner, which was actually like a lot of places wouldn't help me figure out what to eat, things like that. Cause I, I don't speak any French. So, and they weren't very helpful. Like oftentimes, you know, I'm traveling and I'll use Google translate. Like I was getting nothing with people like to help me with that. So, but Vichy's also like a very small, I think it's kind of like a little vacation-y town. So I think it's even worse there than you find in like somewhere like Nice or like a bigger city, right? So, you're kind of like anyway, scaring me here. I'm, I know. I could see your face and I was like, no, Haley, you're going to be fine in Nice. But <laughs> I, like, but I anyway, need to go pack so, all my food because there'll be like no food for me. No one will serve me. <laughs> I think you're okay in the bigger, the bigger cities. Then after the race, so I had made a couple friends and we were like, oh, let's V it's known for Vichy water, right? Like it was like this thing in the spas there, like this really big thing. So we were like, perfect after the race, let's go find a spa and just like, I don't, we didn't even know what you do there. Right. Like we didn't know if you, we assumed like it's like a separate, like bathing house or something. And like, you're just sitting in like Vichy water. I don't know. Anyway, Haley, we kept getting turned away because we were American. And well, and one of them, one of the friends, she was, she's from the UK. Like she's not even American, but they just like looked at us and didn't like us. And so we would literally walk in and they would be like closed. Like they would make this like hand signal and just say closed to us when we said like, you know, hello. And we would see people like in the background, like in robes, like walking around in the spot. Like they were definitely were very much open and they would just try and send us to the next one on the street. And then we got sent to three before we just gave up and we were too frustrated to keep going. Wait, what year was this? This was probably 2015, oh, no. maybe 2016. Yeah. There's no way things so, have gotten better. <laughs> but then I will say, speaking of gambling, then there was like this random casino that I walked into. And in my frustrations, I like put money in and pulled the trigger and I made like 30 bucks. So maybe if you find yourself in Monaco, you should just on a whim try something because I had good luck gambling in France, apparently. <laughs> 
Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the adventure. I'm looking forward to seeing the sights. And I, I am looking forward to, you know, the international aspect of a world championship because I think that is something kind of unique about world championship races is that it isn't like everyone is American or everyone is French or everyone is, you know, from one country. It's pretty international. And I think that's kind of cool. So that'll be, you know, interesting. And then also you can always say that you're Canadian and <laughs> try to get away with that. That works every time. Just like you should get like a the new Smash Fast like Canada Canada kit, right? You should just be wearing that everywhere and be like, I'm a proud Canadian, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> I know it is. It's it's unfortunate that we have to do that, but <laughs> it, it'll be an adventure regardless. So I'll be looking forward to uh, to next week when we get to like share our race week sentiments I guess we're both having race week, and then after that we both get to talk about the race. So we have a couple exciting weeks coming up. We do. And we can also add to that some mailbag questions, but we have none for this week. So if people want to fill up our mailbag for us again, you can send us questions anytime at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. But we also have some summit news for you. We have mentioned some new aspects of the summit that are coming this year in 2019. And one of those is those like pre summit day, um, workshops. And one of which is transitioning to professional triathlon. And that has Sarah gross and Rachel Joyce leading that. And it is a full day of learning aimed at new pros or anyone considering taking the leap. The topics include the business of being a pro training, choosing a coach, choosing races, social media, dealing with setbacks, and more. So you can hear from a variety of current and former pros and industry experts through that. And I, Alyssa, I is, feel like I might need that, um, that session. <laughs> Someone teach me how to do social media, how to choose races. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to, yeah, I feel like we can always use refreshers for ourselves, even being in the game for quite a while. But if you are interested in that, it's $110 and we do have some scholarships available for summit goers and we'll put links to everything like the scholarship application about the scholarships to see if you qualify. Um, they have some other discounts available for current racing pros, students, military, that kind of thing. You can take a look at all that there. And again, the summit will be in Tempe, Arizona, uh, at the ASU facilities, November 15th to 17th of this year. So, so this transitioning to professional triathlon workshop is happening on Friday. So is that, that'd be the 15th. So it happens during the day and then the actual summit kicks off that evening. Is that right? I believe so. Yes. Okay. And again, well, in case this is wrong, we will link to the summit schedule for everyone to check out in the show notes, but yes. And I think that actually I'm just pulling it up now. And then outspokensummit.com. You can always find probably links to all of this information there if you just go to outspokensummit.com but we'll also have the scholarship information linked in our in our show notes and i believe those scholarship the scholarship deadline is september 13th so it is coming up if you women for try is sponsoring like a full ride scholarship which I'm assuming includes the pre-workshop, you know, one of those as well. And then there's also some need-based partial scholarships that, you know, first-year pros are, you know, like they're encouraged to apply for those or anyone with, you know, needing some financial assistance. I think the application is fairly easy. So at least easy to fill out. And then you'll get some information back on if you are a recipient. And Haley, I did check it out. And so, yes, the pre-summit sessions are Friday, November 15th. And it looks like they start 
at nine in the morning and run till about 3 p.m. And then the summit starts around that check-in starts at like four, four thirty kind of thing. So that would make your Friday a full day of, of summit fun too. If you attend one of the pre summit sessions. Uh, nice. Well, we have an interview for everyone this week as well. And this is one we're pretty excited about because in 2011, Canadian triathlete Paula Finley was ranked first in the World Triathlon Series circuit, making her an overwhelming favorite for the gold medal headed into the 2012 Olympics. But leading up to that race, a series of injuries hindered her training, and she ultimately crossed the line in London as the final finisher rather than the first. Paula has taken the lessons from 2012 and reinvented herself as one of the fastest triathletes on the 70.3 circuit. She's recorded podiums at some of the most competitive races, including a big win at the North American Championships in St. George in 2018. She's headed to her first 70.3 World Championships in Nice, France, just about a week from now. So we're going to talk to Paula, hear some details about her story and her preparation as she heads to Nice right after the break. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products, and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Paula. Welcome to Iron Women. Hi, thanks for having me. So I believe you're in the middle of your build to the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, which are in Nice this year. And it looks like you've been using some races to help you get through that training block. So we'll start with Santa Rosa 70.3, which was actually at the end of July. How did you feel going into your race there? And what indications did that give you going into your training for Nice? Yeah, it's been kind of an interesting year. And season in general. Um, I just sw- switched to 70 points through racing a couple of years ago. So trying to get some consistency with my running and get back to kind of like the form I was in back when I raced ITU short course stuff. So every single race I do is kind of like a learning opportunity. I still feel like I learn a lot at every race I do. So I was injured actually this year, right after St. George, all the way basically up till Santa Rosa. So I went into that race honestly not sure if I was even going to be able to do it, but, um, was pain-free by the time the race started, just wasn't really run fit. So I went into it trying to execute kind of the best swim bike that I could, and then hold on as best I could on the run. So the idea there was to not make the injury any worse, not set myself back, um, with the idea that Nice was coming up in six weeks from that time. So overall it was a success. I think I rode the best probably I ever had in, 
in a 70.3 and that's good for me since it's such a challenging bike course with the big hill climb. So I was reassured with that. My run obviously needs some work, but I think within the six weeks before Nice, there's time for improving that. So yeah, I was really happy with it and still kind of unsure about Nice. I've never been to a world championship for 70.3 before. So this will be my first time. It's a big trip over there from Canada. So it was kind of like a bit of a gamble to make that investment go over there, train specifically for that, but starting to get excited about it. So and Paula, what is it like to be on a starting line knowing that you might, you don't know how your run is going to go? I mean, I think when a lot of our, a lot of our listeners are probably age groupers or newer pros. And the idea is like, you want, you know, you might only have one or two A races per year, right? So most people wouldn't know what that was like to start a race where you aren't sure about your run. And I, I believe you had that race in Victoria where you were leading on the run and yeah. you weren't able to finish. So like, what is your mindset when you're on that starting line? Is it just get as much as I can? We'll see what happens. Do you feel bad if you DNF? Is there a big deal or is it just like yeah. on to the next race? No, absolutely. I I don't like pulling out and Victoria was kind of an exception. I was, I knew it was pretty bad, so I shouldn't have started in retrospect. That was kind of a bad idea, but I was there with my boyfriend, Eric, and we were, I was at the event anyway, so I thought I might as well get a good swim bike workout, but I don't think that's a good strategy looking back because it is so hard to pull out of a race. And I knew I wouldn't be pulling out in eighth place. I would be in the top two or three people in having to pull out. So that makes it even harder. Same with Santa Rosa. I mean, unfortunately in my career, I've had this experience so many times standing on a start line, really unsure about my run fitness. And I think if it's, it's one thing, if I know I can actually finish the race and not do damage, but if I'm standing on a start line, knowing I'm going to hurt myself more, that's a bad headspace to be in. So Santa Rosa is more along the lines of, I know I can get to the finish line. If it takes a turn for the worst, I can stop, but I don't think that's going to happen. So it's hard, but it's kind of this like mindset that I've gotten used to feeling. I actually haven't even started a 70.3 yet in my life where I felt like I'm super healthy. I'm super fit. I'm so ready to give my hundred percent best effort here. So even in St. George and races where I've had some success, I've never felt on the start line completely confident that I'm at my absolute best. So still working towards that feeling of starting a race ready to, you know, win it, I guess. <laughs> And you mentioned that you came over to 70.3 racing from your ITU background. And actually, mm -hmm. when you raced in Santa Rosa, the female winner was Chelsea Sodaro, who also it was her third 70.3. And she also is coming over from the ITU background. And she's had a quick rise to the podium, just like you in her first few races. So what do you think it is about that ITU racing, which does transition well into 70.3? Because the distances are actually quite different, you know, and the whole style of racing is so different, too. Yeah, for me, the training didn't change that much. I think the coach I had, I still have the same coach. Um, Chelsea and I actually were both coached by the same person when we were racing um, ITU. So we got to know each other pretty well. Honestly, yeah, the training didn't change. We just, I, uh, my biking a little bit more changed to a time trial bike, but I still train a lot on my road bike just because I like it better. So I think the run speed and the swim speed really helps, um, especially since 70.3 racing is getting a lot faster and it's kind of an evolving sport because of all these people coming over from ITU. Um, you can no longer really get away with swimming not so well because you're just completely out of the race from the start. Um, although there is time on the bike to make up for a poor swim, it's just everything's getting faster now. So I think that suits the ITU people who are able to improve on the bike. I think a lot of the time, if you're in an ITU world, you're not used to that many bike miles or you don't have the strength on the bike to bike by yourself for 
two and a half hours. So it doesn't work for everybody, but people like Lisa Norton and Chelsea and, you know, some people that were really strong cyclists on the ITU circuit when they jump over there automatically, you know, going to be successful, I think. So yeah, Ironman's a whole different story. I think if you jumped up to a full, it would be different, but 70.3 is close enough to an Olympic distance. So I think that's why Chelsea had such success at that race and why I've had a fairly easy time transferring over to the longer distance. Is it fun racing some of the same people that you raced in ITU and then racing against them in 70.3 and you add in some people who have, you know, come from, they've always been longer distance, non-drafting mm-hmm. athletes. I mean, is it, is it weird? Cause you're not racing necessarily for your country, but, or is that kind of make yeah. it less pressure, more fun? Um, it's a lot different because 70.3 racing is a lot in your own control. I think like when you're racing ITU, a lot of the race, you're, you're just reacting to kind of things that happen, especially with the draft legal format on the bike. So it's just a different mindset. Like if I was racing Chelsea in an ITU race, I wouldn't feel like I'm racing Chelsea because everyone is so close together. And, you know, there's like 25 other girls that finish within 10 seconds of each other. It's like a very different kind of race. So yeah, it's, it is very different. Like racing someone like Marinda Carfrey, who I've watched my whole life and being in the same race as her is really, really cool and different than the ITU world. And everyone has such different strength and strengths and weaknesses in 70.3. Like I knew Rennie would be coming up and probably running through me in Santa Rosa. Whereas I know I can put a little bit of time in her on the swim. So you kind of get to know people's strengths and weaknesses as you race them more often and, um, racing more long distance specific people like Heather Rattel and Miranda Carfrey has been pretty cool. And also like a learning curve to figure out how to race them properly. As you approach that learning curve, like what about kind of just the mental side of the racing? You know, what would you have told Paula of 2017 as you were making that transition into kind of the different style just mentally? Yeah, um, I get a lot less nervous for these races than I did in ITU just because it's so long and maybe more room for error. Like if something bad happens, your race isn't necessarily over. You can get a flat tire, you can have a mechanical and you can still kind of salvage your race if you are calm about it. And that takes a lot of the stress away. And I think in ITU, I get really worked up about things out of my control, like having a poor swim, getting knocked by someone and being way back and not being able to like salvage the race and have a good performance. Whereas in 70.3, there's more time for that. So I am more relaxed going into the races. And I think that helps with my performance overall, um, getting too worked up. I think like I did in the ITU races, just the style of how they start them with the big drums and you're walking out of the pontoon and, you know, there's, you know, thousands of people watching. It's, it's really stressful. So the more you do it, the easier it gets, but it's definitely always a different feeling than in the the 70.3. So just the more relaxed mentality and they always start really early in the morning, these 70.3s, whereas ITU would start at like 3 p.m. So you'd have all day to sit and think about the race. <laughs> so just getting up, drinking coffee, eating breakfast, and before you know it, you're in the race. That really helps not get too nervous. So <laughs> I've never thought of that as such a, like an advantage, but it definitely is. Like, what about the flip side where in 70.3 or you know, we see it in Ironman, you can't quite race as frequently because the distances are longer. It's more wear and tear on your body. You are a little bit, you know, worried about running the distance, especially. Does that add any kind of different dynamic where it's like, if you do have a bad race, like it's not like necessarily that you have another one on this next week. Yeah. I think it's interesting racing ITU, the, the, um, schedules kind of dictate your life. Like you have to travel all over the world and there's so many races in other countries. And if you're trying to podium or be competitive in the WTS circuit, you have to go to all the races. So 
that changes the game completely. I think in 70.3, my boyfriend, Eric and I have been able to stay kind of in North America all year and still do a lot of racing. And um, it's true that there, you can't race as frequently, but there are a surprising number of 70.3s you can, you can get into. So if one doesn't go well, there's always one, two or three weeks away that you could go to that are within driving distance or a quick flight away. So I think we're lucky in North America that there are so many pro races available and all over the world, really, wherever you are. So that's kind of what makes Nice exciting is all the people that live on these different continents. And I don't race people from Europe very often, but everyone comes together for that one big race. So yeah, I, I haven't yet done a 70.3 back-to-back weekends. I think some people do it's doable, but definitely like guided by your recovery and your risk of injury and all of that. So Well, speaking of back-to-back weekends, you followed up your podium in Santa Rosa with a race the following weekend, though, but where you went to (laughs) Super League Enduro in Ottawa. So to remind our listeners and myself, quite honestly, of this format, the Enduro, I believe, consists of, let's see, a nonstop, I'll read right from what I took from the website, the nonstop burst of swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run without any breaks. They call it the most brutal format that is there at Super League. And the two slowest athletes at the end of each discipline are eliminated immediately. So the winner, though, is the first person across the line after that final sequence of events. So it looks like these are 300 meter swims, four kilometer bikes and 1.6. So a mile run for all of our listeners. And you do that three times through. And you got the third podium spot there, too, a week after Santa Rosa. So what was it like, though? I would almost say that could be more daunting to me to go from 70.3 to something so like red line at that level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't like totally let go of my love for short course racing and I, I like ITU racing better, but, um, there's a lot of politics that I won't really get into, but dealing with the Federation and, um, trying to qualify for teams when it's kind of out of your control that pushed me out of that sport a little bit. And, um, thankfully there's 70.3 to step into, whereas in a lot of Olympic sports, they don't have this other outlet to, to race in. So, but that's a bit of a <laughs> sideline, but the, so the super league was an opportunity for me to go and do this fast kind of racing again. I haven't done an ITU race in a couple of years, but I still, I thought I could be good at it. I'm strong on the bike now. I'm still have some speed in the pool. And, um, my biggest thing is just running a mile fast is really hard when you don't specifically train for that kind of run speed. But yeah, I was better at it than I thought I would be. I was honestly worried of being eliminated after the first round, but I think the 70.3 endurance mindset really helps with that format because you're diving back in the water. So being fit and strong is actually like an advantage over just being good at like a 15 minute race. Cause it is an hour long in the end of the race. So yeah, I found myself actually good at it and I enjoyed it a lot. It was not really smart of me to go race a fast race after Santa Rosa, given the injury I'd been coming off of, because I did flare up my Achilles a bit in that race. There's a lot of barefoot running, as you can imagine, between like running down back to the water after the run and then running back from the water up to your bike six times or whatever that is. So probably did over a kilometer of barefoot running as fast as I could, which is really, really hard on your Achilles. So that part was difficult. I'm still kind of recovering from that and getting back to running now after a week of kind of like, you know, taking it, letting it heal again. So fun kind of racing, but you really have to be ready for it and uh, fully healthy to be able to race. Like it's actually back to back days. So there's two fast races on Saturday and on Sunday. So yeah, it's like 
very demanding, but I had a lot of fun. So <laughs> maybe I'll do another one. We'll see. I know. I was going to ask if you going to do another one because I've, I've watched some of them online. The coverage is great. They have them in these like exotic locations all over the world. And it seems like the money's pretty good. Yeah, I think especially at the top end, um, the money's great. And honestly, they just cheat, treat you like professionals. Like it's amazing. They, you know, go out for fun dinners and they take care of you. They, it was kind of a different experience than I'd ever had with any other kind of triathlon racing before. And separate from the ITU. So they have like kind of their own rules, like they're less strict about stuff. And the head referee, it's like, he's hanging out with you before the race. So he kind of can explain, he can actually change the rules right before the start. Like he decided not to eliminate people on the first round in the race I was in. So just fun stuff like that, or a little bit looser, but that makes it exciting for spectators and for the athletes and just a different feel than ITU or Ironman racing ever is. So yeah, I've watched it on TV too. And it's like the most fun, exciting thing to watch. So that's kind of why I went to do it to get a feel for it. And, and we want to preface this next question with like, just that you are doing very well right now and you're a favorite going into the 70.3 worlds. And so we already kind of know that things have, that you're in a good spot, at least in sport right now, but in kind of the frame of talking about lessons that you've learned in sport during your career, we wanted to go back to that 2012 Olympic games in London, where the previous year in 2011, you were the number one ranked female triathlete on the planet in Olympic distance. And then you go into, you have some hip injuries and some other health issues that lead you, you, you were unhealthy on the start of that Olympic triathlon in London and did, you know, obviously did not have the race that you wanted. So what was that like being 23 years old racing at that level and having a, a, you know, result like that, that just wasn't what you had planned for at all. And like, how did you, how did you come back from that? I don't know it's now, like it feels like such a long time ago. And honestly, I, I never, I had it through my mind that I want, I never thought about quitting. Like it was difficult. I wasn't happy, but I wanted to go race the grand final, which was like a month after the Olympics, even after having this experience, I was like, right back into training for the next race. So I moved actually to Ontario from Victoria. I like changed my situation. So got a new coach, got a new training group, but I was completely forging on and kind of putting blinders onto the situation. Although it was looking back, like one of the most depressed times of my life. Like I was not happy. I was not healthy. I was super anemic. I was gaining a lot of weight, just like a whole bunch of health issues and unhappiness, but just like forging on and trying to get to the next race. So that's kind of been my attitude throughout this whole career. Like I'm still doing triathlon despite having a lot of difficult seasons without any good results and jumping around to different coaches and training environments and distances and types of racing. And without any really great results, like I had back in 2011, I've had a few good ones and like some promise that I could get back to that level, but nothing near as impressive as it used to be. So I even asked myself that, you know, to this day, like, why am I still doing this? This is so difficult. I'm not as good as I used to be, but there's just like this hope deep down or this belief that I could get back somewhere to that level and be world-class at, at triathlon, whether it's an ITU or in 70.3. And yeah, that's kind of <laughs> continues, you know, it's sometimes it's a bad thing, but ultimately I think it's led to me still being involved in the sport and having some success with hope I can have even more success. So yeah. <laughs> 
And Paula, in several Olympic sports across a lot of different countries right now, we've been hearing athletes kind of speaking out more, saying that their federations aren't always seeming to make the best decisions with the athletes' best interests in mind and things like that. So many young (laughs) athletes, I mean, that time period that we were talking to, right, you were 23 years old, I think, you know, and so that's quite young to be having kind of the weight of the world on your shoulders in many ways. I bet it feels like that um, as everyone's kind of watching you compete and really counting on you to, you know, bring home medals for the country type of thing. So, but like, and the control a lot of times is like for their careers is out of like, it's just not in their own reach a lot of times. So can you relate kind of to what we're seeing now where the athletes are speaking out a little bit more and kind of regaining a little bit of control maybe for their own mental and physical health? Yeah, honestly, for me, my whole career has been kind of backwards. Like a lot of athletes start with this grind of not having support and having to get results to prove to their federation that they're good and eventually get some sponsors who grow into like bigger sponsors. And then you have this amazing result. I kind of started like at the top, won every junior race I did, qualified for worlds every year as soon as I started made the Olympic team without ever having it as a big goal. It kind of happened because of my success in 2011. That was a total surprise to me and was sponsored by Nike and like all these huge contracts that I, I didn't even appreciate it. It was kind of just like happening so quickly. I got a manager that happened really quickly. So I was lucky to be sheltered from a lot of it through my manager and my coach. And, but I was also like targeted as a favorite to medal at the London Olympics. So I had, a lot of obligations that were new to me. Like I was on cereal boxes and I was like a targeted person by the Canadian Olympic committee to get a medal. So there was a ton of like media requirements and film crews and just like this completely different world. So I had all the support and funding that I could ever need to go to like any training camp, get any kind of therapy for my injuries. And that soon dropped off to the point where I had no support, like couple of years after the Olympics. So it was really backwards and having to, you know, learn to book my own flights and my own travel, like that happened way after because I had everyone doing that for me before when I had first started racing ITU with all the success I had. So definitely like a very backwards experience. And I don't even really remember how the Federation was dealing with it. Like I just had my coach and things fell apart with my coach and I started training with Simon Whitfield and I was a little bit sheltered to how the federation was handling things and just kind of going along and putting blinders on and trying to get to the start line healthy so yeah I think it was like later on in my career like the 2016 olympics that I really realized how the federation um, can either work with you or against you and I was unfortunately on the wrong side of that a couple of times so that's like part of the reason like I said that I started racing 70.3 is I'm completely in control of my own career and the races I go to and um, my sponsors and making money and all of that. It's just a very different career than trying to go to another Olympic games. I don't know if that answered and, your question. <laughs> no, I think that that's really fascinating to think about that and how hard that is. So it makes you, it makes what you're doing right now even more impressive, but going, you know, going back to a little, one more ITU question, but mm-hmm. when we Look at uh, just in a couple of days now, we have the Tokyo test event coming up and that is the IT race that is a lot of countries are using it, using for their 2020 Olympic team selection. So I'm just curious if you still follow the IT racing and if you would watch that or is it like, nope, I've moved on, other things going on in life? No, 100% haven't moved on from it. I think I 
another secret part of the reason I went to Super League is to see if I was still good at it because honestly, most federations are just targeting the, the mixed team relay now with less importance on the full individual race because they feel like that's their best chance of a medal, Canada included. So they're really looking at people who are good at the super sprint short distance racing. And unfortunately in Canada right now and over the past eight years, there's been a lot of girls who have become injured or you know, unhealthy or just like not been super consistent. So the pool of athletes, female athletes to select from for the Canadian team is not very big. And I still believe I'm one of the best ones, honestly. So I, it's hard for me cause I don't have any ITU points. I haven't raced an ITU race in a long time, but I went to super league and had a really good race there and feel like I could still be a strong contender on the Canadian team. But it would require a complete shift of focus, obviously, like racing ITU, going to get ITU points, talking to Triathlon Canada to see if they're even interested in me doing this. So, yeah, that's kind of the dilemma in, am I, that I'm in right now. I still absolutely love the ITU staff, would love to go to Tokyo, but I'm questioning, like, is it really worth traveling around the world trying to get these points? Huge investment for me without any guarantee at all of being selected to the team. So is that something you need to figure out like before Nice or are you like, okay, that's in the back of my mind. I'm going to get to no, Nice no. and then switch gears. Like what, what do you, even... yeah, I'm going to Nice for sure. I yeah. mean, it drives Eric, my boyfriend crazy that I'm like still having this dilemma in my head. He's like, just pick one thing and focus on it and be good at it. And in my mind, I'm like going to bed every night, changing my mind of what I want to do. And probably going to, it's probably too late to go to Tokyo at this point. I don't even know, but in my mind, I'm like, damn, I could be good at this. I, I wish I was on that path still in some ways. So yeah, it's hard, but I'm definitely going to Nice and focusing on that for the next month. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm putting that aside completely, but yeah, Nice is the focus right now. (laughs) And Paul, so you came out of the ITU racing and as we've kind of given our listeners, you know, insight to, you found your way into the non-draft legal racing. So what was it that like first led you there? Was it just kind of, you were looking for options and you were like, okay, well I do have this available. Let me try it. Or was there something else at play? Yeah. Yeah, My first race was in October of 2017, I think. And I had really like just gotten a time trial bike and was curious about it. I knew that that was something I wanted to do eventually. And there was a, I think Austin, Texas was my first race. That was, it was just like a good timing end of the ITU season to give it a try because of all my running injuries over the last eight years, my cycling has improved and gotten stronger. So I was confident enough to go in and ride 90 K in the time trial position. It was, I was nervous at first, but ended up really enjoying it. So it was more of like a trial at first to see if I liked it and if I was good at it and I ended up really enjoying it. So well, we're very about. glad that you enjoyed it and have kept at it and we'll <laughs> see you at your first world championship this year. But you mentioned kind of moving around a lot, even within Canada. And then you've also been in the United States. You've lived in Boulder, you've San Diego. Um, I think, I think according to Instagram that you've been doing van life recently around Oregon. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about the, you know, the moving around and do you have like a favorite training place? Yeah. Well, Eric and I, Eric's also a professional triathlete and we, he's American and I'm Canadian. So that complicates a little bit where we can set up base. I can't be in the U S all year and he can't be in Canada all year. And we have to be out of Canada cause it's too cold for like six months of the year anyway. So Eric actually has a house in Portland, but we recently bought the sprinter van that has 
Eric sort of built this bed in it and fork mounts on it so we can travel around to different training camp locations. We don't actually live in the van, which is a misconception from Instagram, but it's very well suited for long road trips and for, you know, staying overnight if we need to somewhere. So it's kind of like a big mobile garage. Like we can put all of our stuff in it for a six month training camp somewhere, whatever, wherever we decide to go. So we head down to San Diego for the really cold months in Oregon and in Canada. I did live in Boulder for a long time, but that was before I knew Eric and, uh, was training with Siri Lindley and Neil Henderson after that. So love Boulder, but after meeting Eric had to kind of make a move to where he lived. <laughs> so since then we're currently in Kelowna cause it's, I think the best place in Canada to train and I need to spend some months in Canada this year. Um, but yeah, we kind of bounce between Oregon, California and British Columbia, I guess is our three main training places. My favorite, it's hard to pick one favorite training place because each place has its strengths and weaknesses. The riding in Oregon is like the best I've ever seen. Um, just like amazing roads, super quiet, good for time trial bikes. The swimming and running in Kelowna is amazing. So each place has like things that are really good and some things that aren't so good. So just kind of make do it's <laughs> that's part of being a triathlete is it's hard to find the optimal thing for swimming, biking and running. But, um, we try to come as close as we can everywhere we go. <laughs> And it seems like, so your hometown is Edmonton, Canada. And so it seems like while, you know, that's probably not one of the most ideal places in most people's like at the top of their list for triathlon training conditions, but it seems to be quite special to you there. And they do host a world cup event every year for ITU racing. So what is it about Edmonton that makes triathlon a good fit for the community there? Um, I think it honestly stems from like back in 2000 they had a world cup race that started there Sheila O'Kelly who's still very involved with the ITU and with the event in Edmonton is just so dedicated to having that event continue to be a big part of of uh, the Edmonton you know sport culture and everything so they have a ton of support from the city and from just the whole community in Edmonton my mom's actually the competition manager for the the WTS in Edmonton so she's really involved in it and it's although it's like the weather's unpredictable and it has a really harsh winter. I think the biggest thing about hosting a successful event like a WTS is the support of the city and the community and having a venue that's appropriate for, you know, hosting a huge event like that. So the grand final actually is in Edmonton in 2020 next year after the, the Olympics. So it is an amazing place. I think the ITU is always really impressed by, by the event that Edmonton puts on. So they continue to be, you know, awarded a race there every year. So it's pretty impressive. I, I grew up in Edmonton and had some of my best results of my life as a junior training in Edmonton. So it's, it's better than most people think, although it's a harsh winter, you just kind of do a lot of indoor, indoor training, running on the track, training on the trainer, swimming in the pool and dressing for the weather when you have to go outside, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a special place. I wouldn't choose to train there now just because the cycling is so limited in the city. But, um, besides that, it's, it's an awesome city. Paula, I think right now you're, you're coached by Paulo Sousa and you mentioned previously working with Siri Lindley and even the triathlon Canada squad with Simon Whitfield. So can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about these different training environments and different coaches and what it's like to change coaches like during your career? Yeah, I've had unfortunately a lot of like jumping around with different coaches. 
or I wouldn't say jumping around, but just like needing a change, I guess, like mentally, emotionally in where I am in my life. So I made the move to go train with Siri and Boulder when I was kind of at an all time low of triathlon, really was not happy and not enjoying it. This was fairly soon after the London Olympics, I guess, maybe a couple of years after. And Siri was just, you know, if you know Siri, you know, her personality is so uplifting and encouraging and bubbly and just a really, really positive person to be around. So she kind of completely transformed my attitude about the sport. And she had an amazing group of athletes. At the time, I was still doing short course racing exclusively but and had no ambition of doing long course racing. But her group was primarily long course athletes. It was like Jody Swallow, Mary Beth Ellis, Amanda Stevens, Miranda Carfrey, just like really big names in the long course world. So that was a really cool environment to be in, I guess, just the different attitude of these kind of more mature, older athletes who have been doing it for a long time, thought of it or were doing it as a career. So kind of a different mindset than I was in where I was just trying to get to the Olympics. And yeah, that was a really positive change. Eventually I kind of got to the point where I needed a little bit more like number structure to like, you know, Watts on the bike and <laughs> series, not as uh, science oriented as some of the other coaches like Neil Henderson, who I ultimately switched to. So yeah, it's a really, really hard thing to leave coaches. I love Siri. She's amazing. And it's like, you have this special relationship with them. It's like breaking up with someone when you switch over to a different coach and as understanding as they are and as sympathetic, you know, as apologetic you are, you just have to understand that it's like, you're doing the best thing for yourself. And you learn a lot with every coach, but you can take the things you learned from your previous coach with you and learn a lot from a new coach. So that's just kind of part of evolving as an athlete and continuing to be better and improve and, you know, suit your yourself better for the changes you're making within the sport. So. And so we know you're gearing up for Ironman 70.3 world champs. We know you're, you know, in the back of your mind might be kind of a, an effort to get to Tokyo in some respect, but <laughs> has it crossed your mind yet to do a full iron distance? So we know some ITU athletes like Sarah True have had good success at iron distance racing coming over. And so is that in your plans anytime soon? No, I, every time Eric, I, <laughs> I was pretty sure. Yeah. That, like <laughs> absolutely not. Like I cannot imagine doing a 70.3 two times in a row on the same day. <laughs> Completely crazy to me. And also just like the training required for that is so different than what we're doing now. Like Eric and I go out for a four hour bike ride and that's like really long for us. And yeah, we hear about like the Bertels going out and training for six or seven hours on the bike. And that's just like, so mind blowing to me. I don't know how I, if I could ever do that. I mean, I'll never say never. It's like maybe someday, but, um, right now I just like, I think the 70.3 is the perfect distance for me in terms of the length of it and, uh, no desire really to do a full right now. So yeah. <laughs> well, we will have this recording for you. Like, and we can play it back when you are on the start line in Kona one of these years. <laughs> yeah. And we'll be like, remember when she said that? No, I think, I think it's super exciting that you're going to be on your first 70.3 world championship starting line, um, in Nice. I'm excited to race with you. I'll be there as well. And, um, and then I'm sure it won't be your last. So I'm excited to yeah. kind of follow your career in 70.3 distance. You got plenty of time. Yeah. It's uh, like the hype around Kona is really enticing. And I've been to Kona once before, just watching it. So 
that's really cool. And I do catch the bug a little bit around that time of year and sponsors like really care about that race. It's like the biggest thing of the year. Everyone puts all of their focus on it. So that part is cool, but I just don't know if it like suits me specifically in terms of like the endurance mentally required to finish that race. So we'll see, but yeah, I like 70.3 stuff for sure. I think everyone, everyone comes over to the dark side at some point. So hopefully (laughs) we'll see you over there, but thanks again for uh, talking to us today and we'll be excited to see how the rest of your season goes. Yeah. Thanks so much, you guys. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Well, Haley, I follow Paula on Instagram, and I know that she has made her way over to France, and you'll be making your way over this week. So our listeners can follow both of you guys, at least, and probably some of the other pro women, I'm sure, to stay up to date on what's happening over in Nice leading up to the 70.3 World Championships. I know I'll be following along because I think the scenery in Nice might be a little bit better than the scenery in Madison. Although, I mean, nothing against Wisconsin, but I think the the Instagram ability of Nice is, is a little bit higher on the scale of things. Yeah, let's let's hype up this 70.3 World Champs. I'm I'm excited. You know, it's the women's only race on Saturday. You know, that day to ourselves and so yeah I'll be I'll be looking at everyone's social media too (laughs) and like being like hey I've been there hey no I should go there in the in the coming week but um it should be a fun time and in the meantime if you uh, haven't checked out our patreon campaign it is at patreon.com forward slash live feisty it allows people to become patrons and donate a small amount of money every month that helps motivate us to keep bringing you great content with 70.3 Worlds in just one week. Kona on the horizon. We're working to have a team on the ground in Hawaii bringing live videos and coverage of that race. So if you want to join the team, join the fun, join that community, head over to patreon.com forward slash live feisty and huge thank you to everyone who has already joined. Okay, Haley, well, good luck packing up and safe travels this week. And we will catch up when I'm in Madison and you're in Nice. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.